0: Energy. Can we all just admit that I was right about Mac Jones from the start? He's good, he's not great, and they have made him worse by what they have done to him this year. The passion. This UVM team is the most athletic team I can remember in the eight years I've been covering them. They're that fast, they're that quick, they're that bouncy. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Craig Breswell might be great. But he's got to start spending money. I think he's going to, but he better start soon. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and dot Radio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday, at least for some of us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM and FM and dot Radio.com. Let me just tell you, this has been a day. Actually, you know what? It hasn't even been a day. It's been like a last 20 minutes. I've had a whole day in the last half hour, I think. I feel like I'm living in a carnival zone. I feel like I'm playing in a fun house. The studio walls have all these giant mirrors on them right now. It's been that kind of last half hour for me here. So right before 5 o'clock, I'm in the studio, right? Danny's across from me, and my knee hits a piece of equipment. And therefore... I basically muted myself, but I had no idea what went on. I didn't know that it was that simple of a fix, basically. Repress the button, Brady, and you're good. So I'm all screwed up. I'm trying to talk. I don't know if I'm on the air. Danny realizes, hey, you've muted yourself, but what the hell have you done? Because he's across the way from me. So he sends it to break. Danny's very smart like that. We come back, or as I'm now fiddling with things, still trying to figure out what I've done. Well, Danny sends us to commercial break. And then I hit the microphone and knock the microphone off its mooring. So I'm trying to figure out how I could do the show and talk and what button did I press, etc. So I come back, I think that I have fixed the microphone, and as I'm finally ready to like put this behind me, I drop the microphone and then kick the exact same button and muted myself one more time. So now I'm standing up doing the show, I have removed myself and my legs and feet and kneecaps from all forms of equipment, at my bottom here, and I'm hoping I don't hit anything and this show can go off for the next 90 minutes appropriately, because the last one, I I, I did not feel good about. I did not feel good about my news performance there from 4.57 on, and it all has to do because of my clown feet, my giant kneecaps, and my long limbs that were bumping into things, and the microphone, I feel like I've got back like it's supposed to be. I guess Lee will tell us tomorrow if I've screwed it up beyond repair or anything, but right now, Things appear to be good. So Danny, how are you? That's how my last half hour has been. You've seen it from afar, but here, or from, you know, from up close, but here we are. How are you?
1: I'm great. Just sitting back here looking at you go crazy and I'm like, wow, this is, this is something.
0: Well, when you're the reason that things- And Pete Carroll's
1: gone, so you're like, you're all out of sorts.
0: Very interesting sports day. Very interesting sports day. You can get in 802-585-3026. There's a lot to talk about here. Pete Carroll, mutually agrees to part ways with the Seahawks. I told you weeks ago that this could happen. People didn't believe me. People didn't expect it. Everyone in the NFL was shocked. I'm not shocked about it at all. I am shocked that it was not. This one, you know, they always say there's no such thing as a good breakup. This one appears to be a good breakup. Pete Carroll is going to stay in the organization as an advisor. He's not getting fired and then going to coach somewhere else. He's going to move on, kind of evolve his role in the organization. So it appears to be a good breakup. Um, I'm not shocked that B. Carroll's not going to be the Seahawks' coach in 2024. A couple different reasons, right? Mainly, they can't play defense. Like, they can't play defense. For all the talk about Geno Smith and is he the guy and getting rid of Russ and all that, the offense for the Seahawks really not the problem. The offensive line continues to be battered and relatively ineffective at times. They haven't been able to run the ball, but really they can't play defense. Geno Smith is, like, one of the least problems that the Seahawks have. Okay, they can't tackle, they can't play defense, schematically they're not great, but that's, this show's not really about the Seahawks. But I'm not surprised that Pete Carroll's not gonna be back in 2024. We'll talk about that again as it relates to the Patriots in a second. Also, it just came out moments ago, Nick Saban's gonna retire in Alabama. So on the same day, we've lost Pete Carroll and Nick Saban, two people that have been figureheads in coaching For the last 25 years, right? They've been in coaching longer than that, but they've been real figureheads in coaching for almost 25 years, right? Pete Carroll was the head coach of the Patriots right back in the day, right? Pete Carroll was, I believe, the guy before Belichick. And then he goes to USC and he dominates there in the Carson Palmer era, Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, and and they're awesome at USC, and then he goes to the Seahawks. And they're great, too, for a long time and win a Super Bowl and almost win a second one. Nick Saban's at Alabama is winning titles left and right. He was at LSU winning titles. He was at Michigan State before that. So we have lost two giant figures in coaching today. And now we just wait to see if we're about to lose the third. Are we going to lose Bill Belichick from coaching, at least as it relates to the Patriots, in the same week that we lose Pete Carroll and that we lose Nick Saban? It's very, very interesting. Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are friends. They're best friends. I wonder what conversations they have had in the last week. You know that if all if anybody's going to know about Nick Saban's plans, it's Bill Belichick. And if anybody's going to know how Bill Belichick is feeling, it's going to be Nick Saban. They are as close as Bill Belichick will allow someone to get to him. Right? Nick Saban was Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator when Belichick was the coach of the Browns. They did that. HBO doc, Belichick and Saban together. They talk all the time. They talk football all the time. How many Alabama players has Belichick drafted? I'm sure largely on Saban's recommendation. I mean, just off the top of my head, Cyrus Jones, Mac Jones, Dante Hightower. I mean, there's three right off the rip, and I'm sure there's seven more if I can think of it, if I had another five minutes to think about it. So does Saban go to Belichick and say, hey, man, I'm out? You want to play golf all the time together? Does Belichick say, hey, I'm going to go somewhere that's not New England. I want you to come with me. And let's work together one more time. I have no idea how this is going to go, but I just wonder their level of conversation. What did Belichick know? What does Saban know about Belichick? Are in any way their situations connected, or are they totally independent of each other? This has been a very interesting day a very interesting football day it's really been a very interesting last three hours or so the Pete Carroll news I actually was away from my phone for a moment doing some work I got the first text message at about 225 the next text message is at 226 and the next text message at about 230 all people wanted to hear my Seahawks fan reaction to Pete Carroll being gone the Saban stuff happens about I don't know about 15 minutes ago Right about 15 minutes ago, it pops up on the screen in the studio that Saban's retiring. What did Belichick know? Are the situations related to each other? Let me get back to the Pete Carroll thing for a second. I don't believe that Pete Carroll retired. Right? I believe it's a good breakup. I believe it's a relatively clean breakup. Otherwise, Pete Carroll wouldn't stay in the organization. But I do believe that Pete Carroll was was nudged out. Right I believe Pete Carroll was nudged out. The Seahawks brass kind of saw the writing on the wall. Wall the Seahawks have too good an offense to be going nine and eight missing the playoffs. they have too good an offense to be going nine and eight and getting blown out last year in the first round by the San Francisco 49ers. So even though it's it's as good a breakup as you can have, I believe Pete Carroll was nudged out. I applaud the Seahawks for doing it. Okay, I like Pete Carroll. He brought me the best period of fandom in my sports life, right Seahawks. I think I want to say, right, I was born in 1989, made the playoffs for the first time in my life in 1999, got blown out by the Miami Dolphins, and then, you know, made the playoffs again, the famous Al Harris interception off Matt Hasselbeck in like 2002 or 2003, then the Seahawks get to the Super Bowl in 04, and then Pete Carroll, come, you know, then they're bad again for a while, and then Pete Carroll comes in, the 14 seasons, 10 playoff berths, two Super Bowl appearances several division titles, best fandom experience of my life, right? This period of Seahawks football in the last 15 years has been the best my life has ever experienced. I'm very, very grateful as a fan for that. But I applaud what the Seahawks have done because it's not working right now, right? It's not working as well as it should be working. And going nine and eight is nice. And the fact that the Seahawks had a winning record and nine of my Sundays were were enjoyable this year, and I am grateful for that too. But this team, With D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockin and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Devin Witherspoon, they they should be going further in the playoffs. They shouldn't be an afterthought in their division. They shouldn't finish behind the Rams, who are expected to be one of the worst teams in the league. What I'm getting at here, the Seahawks made a very difficult call. They got rid of a successful, popular, Super Bowl-winning, likable head coach. It's time for the New England Patriots to do the same. Right, Pete Carroll's a lot more likable than Bill Belichick is. He's a lot more personable than Bill Belichick is. Not quite as successful as Bill Belichick has been. But it was a very tough call, nonetheless, for them. The New England Patriots need to make the same one. Okay, Today is the day that the old guard of football is going away. And the Patriots need to add to that. It's just time. Okay, It's just time. Everybody I hear... Talking about keeping Bill Belichick is saying relatively the same thing or relatively the same version of the same thing. Bill Belichick is owed this. Bill Belichick is owed another chance. Bill Belichick deserves another chance because of what he has done. I got to tell you, it's not show friends, it's show business. And if the business isn't producing, it's time to move on. Bill Belichick has had four years post-Tom Brady to get this thing right and it hasn't been gotten right. Robert Kraft issued the ultimatum last spring. I want to be in the playoffs again. I don't want to be picking high in the draft again. And the Patriots are going to be picking number 3. The situation has gotten worse. Robert Kraft has given him the requisite time post-Brady to figure it out. He has had an offseason where he allowed Bill Belichick to spend a whole lot of his money. He gave him a, a you know freedom to go pick the next quarterback. He's given him four years, and he's given him the ultimatum, and we have ended up at this point. Robert Kraft doesn't owe Bill Belichick anything more. I said forever I would let Tom Brady go out on his own terms. I do think Tom Brady was owed certain things. Bill Belichick is not owed certain things, and Bill Belichick knows better than anybody, right, like your football future is not guaranteed. Heck, Bill Belichick has been proving that to player after player after player for the last 20-plus years, it didn't matter if you were Ty Law. It didn't matter if you were Richard Seymour. It didn't matter if you were a great offensive lineman. Heck, it didn't matter if you were Tom Brady. Bill Belichick was move, was willing to move on from you when you were no longer useful to him. Bill Belichick should know that you're not guaranteed anything in football. Bill Belichick has cut Hall of Famers. He has traded Hall of Famers. He got rid of Tom Brady, Randy Moss, Wes Welker. He's gotten rid of all of them. He's let them all walk. He hasn't paid them. Bill Belichick knows that this is how it goes, and it's time for it to happen to him. I don't feel good about it. I wish it wasn't this way. I wish more than anything that Bill Belichick could get a romantic send-off Super Bowl victory, carry it off on his shoulders, walk off into the sunset. Bill Belichick knows better than anybody that that's not usually how it happens. It happened that way for John Elway. It happened that way for Peyton Manning. It doesn't happen that way for most people. Even the legends of the game, the game takes no prisoners. And the game owes you no favors. And Belichick knows that. The Seahawks today... Helped facilitate a really tough call. Could it backfire on them? Absolutely. Could the Seahawks go 5 and 12 next year instead of 9 and 8? Absolutely. They're taking a chance, but I believe it's a chance that for them is worth taking. And it's a chance for the Patriots that worth, that is worth taking as well. The organization has, has stagnated. The organization has regressed and Bill Belichick is a huge part of that. Injuries are part of it on a season-by-season basis. The schedule is part of it on a season-by-season basis. But Bill Belichick's roster building and, to some degree, his attitude is part of it as well. It's just time. Nick Saban himself made a hard decision today. The Seahawks made a hard decision today. It's time for the Patriots and Robert Kraft to make a hard decision that he doesn't want to make. Robert Kraft doesn't want to have to make this decision, but he needs to for the betterment of his organization. We have been waiting on this for three days now. My question for you, 802-585-3026, the longer we wait, the longer this drags on, is it better or is it worse for Bill Belichick? Is it better or is it worse? Danny, I spoke to Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio earlier today. He thinks the longer this drags on, the worse it is for Bill.
2: I think less likely because if you're going to continue to have discussions about the future of your organization or your part being a part of that organizational future, that leads me to believe there's a lot of negotiating going on between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick because if you're going to bring somebody back, you get right to it immediately. You put it out there that you had a meeting on Monday and you say that I'm going to be back. The More and more, the more meetings are going to be had. I wonder how much that discussion is that maybe Robert Kraft is ready to move on and Bill Belichick does not want him to make that kind of decision.
0: I agree with Freddie 100%. The longer this goes, the longer this drags out, the worse it is for Bill Belichick. Because you know what we haven't heard? We haven't heard a vote of confidence. We haven't heard Robert Kraft say, Bill Belichick is our guy. We're going to take some time this offseason. We're going to figure out a way to get this right. That's what you haven't heard. Danny, you're a Yankees fan, right? Being a Yankees manager is like being in a fishbowl like it is being in New England. Right. All the talk about Aaron Boone getting fired. All the talk about Brian Cashman getting fired. I believe like the day after the season ended, we heard the Yankees say Aaron Boone will be back in 2024. Right. The day the season ended. Disappointing season. We missed the playoffs. We finished fourth in the division. The day after Aaron Boone was announced he was coming back. We believe in this guy. We're taking it to the end. Nothing like that from Robert Kraft. The more that this drags on, the worse it is for Belichick. To Freddie's point, the longer this drags on, the more conversations that are had, you likely end up with things like, okay, all right, what what about my deal? What's my buyout? How much money am I getting? Where are my terms? Can I go somewhere else? Uh, I want to go out this way. What about this? How perception? How do we dress it up? What about the press conference? All of the above. That's what's happening now. We heard from Adam Schefter earlier this week. It was a matter of when, not if. It was a matter of how, not if. I think that's where we're at. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVRadio.com. Texter says, "What is the delay? What is the issue? Good Lord, move on." Well, Good Lord. <laughs> the issue is the the issue is all the other stuff, money, severance, benefits. I mean. You, I've never really been like I've 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 lost a job before, but I've never really been through a negotiation on losing a job before because my job was never public like this. Public perception could be everything. What does Belichick want to say? What does Kraft want to say? How do they want to How do they want to word it? Is Belichick going to talk to the media? Is Kraft going to talk to the media? What is he going to say? What are they not going to say? How deep are they going to go into what happened here? Are, are they going to have like basically a non-disclosure agreement where they don't talk about how they really feel? They all talk, They all dress it up. Is Belichick going to be allowed to go somewhere else right away? Are they going to trade him? Where does Belichick want to go? Is he open to a trade? All of the above is happening right now. The longer this goes on, with no vote of confidence from Robert Kraft, tells you that the end is near. Uh, Will says, well said, Brady. We are thankful for the old guard, but it is time to move forward. Texter says, they say that things happen in threes. As you said, Pete Carroll, Saban, Maybe Belichick, but with Belichick so close to the NFL head coaching wins record, I doubt that he is done. I also doubt that he is done. But I do want to know the conversations that he's had with Saban. I think Belichick absolutely coaches next year. Just a question of where. Tex says, um, Belichick's contract situation with the little-known details of his extension also make things more muddy. Yeah, how much is he owed? Um you know, how much is he owed? We don't know the terms of the contract. How much is he owed? <clears throat> What's the buyout? Is there a buyout? Is he going to get all the money? Is he going to get some of the money? Can he go coach right away? All of that. Now, there's something else that's complicating everything, and that's the appearance of one Mike Vrabel on the hiring line as a coaching candidate. What do we think about Vrabel in New England, and does it impact the decision on Belichick at all? We'll talk about that next on the Brady Farca Show on D.E.B. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEB Radio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEB AM and FMWDEB Radio.com. We got a lot of stuff to get to today. Tom Karen, our Sox Insider at Nesson, is going to be with us at about 6.05 or so. TC is actually in Vermont today. We'll find out what he's doing here. Uh so we'll talk to him in about 15 minutes. Also, we're gonna unpack the Patriots season today, talk about the season at large. In New England, kind of what went right, what went wrong. Hint, hint, a lot of things went wrong. Very few things went right, but we do have a couple there, and we'll talk a little bit about the Celtics today as well as they get ready for a big matchup with the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Patriots' situation might have been made more complicated yesterday. I already thought the Patriots should move on from Bill Belichick, but now the fact of will they move on from Bill Belichick might have been made easier by the fact that now Mike Vrabel is available on the hiring line. Vrabel surprisingly fired – in Tennessee as head coach of the Titans. In addition to Pete Carroll, I told you Mike Vrabel might not be safe also. Six years there, a couple of playoff appearances, a coach of the year, a number one seed in the AFC playoffs. Vrabel certainly has a good resume, and he would be a good candidate for the Patriots. question, if you're Robert Kraft, is do you say, well, I was kind of leaning towards Bill, but now Vrabel's over there. And that My advice to you is this. Do not fire Bill Belichick just because Mike Vrabel is available, right? Don't fire an 8 just because you think a 10 might be willing to date you. Unless you know for a fact that the 10 is willing to date you, you do not move on from an 8, all right? If you're going to get rid of Bill Belichick, get rid of Bill Belichick because it's the right thing to do, and then fully examine the head coaching process, Don't just go and say, okay, we're going to fire this guy because Vrabel might come here, and then Vrabel doesn't come here, and then you're screwed, wishing you had the eight back. That's my advice. Don't fire Belichick just because Vrabel is now available. Fire Belichick because you were going to do it anyways and because the organization has stagnated. If you want Vrabel and get Vrabel, then so be it. But I can't risk you losing Belichick and then losing out on your guy also. So that's my first piece of advice. Mike Reese of ESPN says he doesn't believe that the Vrabel stuff has anything to do with Belichick's future.
3: So my strong sense talking to people around the Patriots organization is that any decision on Belichick is completely independent of Vrabel's sudden availability. So it isn't like, Greeny, that they say, oh, oh, my goodness, Mike Vrabel's there. we got to move on a Belichick decision. Step back. Big picture, team owner Robert Kraft is 82 years old. It's hard to imagine that he hasn't thought of potential succession plans for Bill Belichick. So I'd say this, Vrabel's a wild card in the whole discussion, but it would be aggressive to me to say he suddenly shoots to the top of any succession plan list.
0: That's the way it should be. I am glad to hear Mike Reese say that. I'm glad to hear that that's what Mike Reese believes and kind of what he's deducing from the people that he talks to. So that is the way that it should be. As for Vrabel as a candidate, you kinda know where I stand on this. I want an offensive coach. I want a younger coach. I want a coach, Vrabel's young, but I want an offensive coach, and I want a guy who doesn't really have ties to the Patriots organization. I want a guy who can come in with fresh ideas. There's all these people saying, well, Vrabel knows the Patriot way. Guess what? When Vrabel, when Belichick is gone, Vrabel, like the Patriot way goes away. When Belichick is gone, it's supposed to be a new culture. That's what I'm looking to build is a new culture. I don't need links to the past. I don't need somebody who knew the way that it used to be. Vrabel is a good coach, and if he went and coach the Chicago Bears or the Las Vegas Raiders, they very well might end up great. For the New England Patriots, I am looking for something new. I already didn't love the idea of Gerard Mayo being the head coach for the same reason. I don't love the idea of Vrabel being the head coach. Now, I will say this, if I am Gerard Mayo, I am fuming at this stuff because Gerard Mayo was supposed to be the head coach in waiting, right? Gerard Mayo was supposed to be the guy who took over for Belichick. Heck, Robert Kraft sent out a a letter to season ticket holders uh, last year basically saying that Mayo was the guy. He put out a press release saying, we're keeping Mayo, we're grooming him, and he talked him up and... You know, he didn't go in go in and interview on other head coaching jobs. Like, clearly, Mayo has been under the assumption that he's going to be the guy. Robert Kraft, everybody else has told us, Phil Perry, Tom Curran. It's kind of been common knowledge that Mayo was going to be the guy. If they don't hire Mayo in order to hire Vrabel, if I am Mayo, I'm leaving in a heartbeat. I am out, and I'm going to go scorched earth on your backside on my way out the door. This situation if Rabel gets the job, could very well be proof that head coach-in-waiting doesn't work, right? I've told you the story of Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim had a head coach-in-waiting in Mike Hopkins at Syracuse. Bayheim decided to stay for like another 20 years, and Hopkins decided, you know what, I'm tired of waiting, I'm going to the University of Washington. Head coach-in-waiting is not a good idea. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio agreed with me on that, too.
2: That's not a good way to bring everybody together and have everybody on the same page. You mentioned Dan Campbell that no No, matter what happens.
0: Not that one, Danny.
2: I wonder how many many opportunities to interview to be a head coach that Gerard Mayo passed by because Robert Kraft said you're going to be a coach in waiting. Coaching waiting means that you're just waiting for somebody else to make a decision on your future more than ever before. You can't allow people to play with your livelihood. You can't allow people to play with you and think that that's going to work and that you're going to wait around.
0: Would I be okay if Mayo was the guy? I'd reluctantly do it. Would I be okay if Rabel was the guy? I'd reluctantly do it. If you're asking me what I want more than anything, I want somebody that doesn't have a link to the Patriot way. I want somebody who can come in with young, innovative, fresh, new ideas. That's what I want. I want the next Sean McVeigh. I want the next Kyle Shanahan. I don't want the next Bill Belichick. Or somebody who's 50% of Bill Belichick. I want somebody who is completely independent of what the Patriots have done in the past. That is what I want. 802-585-3026. Text says, Vrabel may make sense, but half the reason Titans got rid of him is because most of the teams in the postseason are led by offensive head coaches. I'd be surprised if they hired another defensive coach. Tex says, if they dump Belichick, should they get a coach and a GM uh, or a combo, a guy who can do both. Now you need you need two separate people, right? You need two separate people. You can't give one guy all the power, and that's kind of a point against Vrabel. Also, Vrabel had an awful lot of power in Tennessee. He grew up in systems where the head coach had a lot of power, right? He played in Pittsburgh for a little while under Bill Cowher, who ran, you know, who had a ton of power. Played for Belichick, who did everything. Went to Ohio State and worked where Urban Meyer you know, had everything in church and state. And then Vrabel was given most of the keys to the control room in in Tennessee. Vrabel's used to having all the control. What we're trying to do is get out of a situation where the head coach has all the control. So you might like Vrabel, the football coach, but is Vrabel okay with being just a football coach or does he also want full control? No, I need a separate GM, a separate analytics guy, I need a separate head coach, and I need everybody to collaboratively work together in a family-style environment. And I'm going to play you a cut that perfectly typifies what I want when we come back from the commercial break. So CBS News Update, I'm going to play you this clip from Pete Carroll that shows what I wish the Patriots would have here in Foxborough. And then we're going to get to Tom Caron, our Red Sox insider at Ness, and He's going to be with us right after I play you that clip. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Part of the reason the Patriots are in the position they're in is because Bill Belichick has too much power, right? The Texer says, should you hire one guy to do everything or should you hire separate people? No, you should hire separate people, right? Bill Belichick is the guy who's the head coach. He's the guy who picks the players. He's the guy who runs the draft. He stretched far too thin as far as I'm concerned. There's too much going on in football now to have that many responsibilities. There's too many nooks and crannies of the organization that one guy shouldn't have to do it all. You need a more collaborative process. You need a guy, you need a GM who respects his head coach's opinion. You need a GM a head coach who respects the opinion of his GM, but ultimately they do their job so they don't interfere with each other too much. They can have input in each other's jobs, but they can't tell each other how to do it. And I don't want one guy Doing everything. So, yes, the Patriots need a complete overhaul of how they've done business. Another reason I would move on from Bill Belichick, Danny, is as I and I said this yesterday. I want a coach who guys want to play for. Right? We we heard the quote yesterday, Danny Amendola, who said we worked for Bill, but we played for Tom. I want a head coach who guys want to play for. Right? I want a coach who is not just their boss. He doesn't have to be their best friend, but he's got to be somebody that they respect, somebody that they love, who loves them back, who has their best interest at heart, someone who's honest with them. You've got to be a guy who is a unifier. And I don't think Bill Belichick is that. You saw what he did to Mac Jones. The locker room is divided about Mac versus Zappi. You heard yesterday about what he did to Trent Brown. Trent Brown saying that coaches in the locker room were trying to figure out ways to get under his skin in order to bring new things out of him. like, I want a guy who inspires. And while Bill Belichick's rings inspire, I don't know that Bill personally inspires. The Amendola quote tells you everything. We played for him, or we worked for him, but we played for Tom. Again, Pete Carroll, you know, stopped being the head coach of the Seahawks today. And I believe Pete Carroll was nudged out, right? Good breakup, but I believe Pete Carroll was nudged out. I just went on social media through the break. Carroll made it pretty clear it wasn't his decision. But, again, he wasn't there bad-mouthing the organization as well. He is going along with the decision that's been made. Something that Pete Carroll said today, Danny, kind of about him taking the Seahawks job, as he reflected on that decision 14 years ago, did he play this? Because this is what I wish the Patriots had. But but what I am most
3: proud of is is that we we took a culture that we developed there in in those college days and came here to see if you cared for people deeply and you you loved them for who they were and tried to find uh, the, the extraordinary uniqueness that made them them and celebrate that and not try to make
0: them something that they're not, and not not to try to expect them to be something other than that, but try
3: to see if we can capture that, that extraordinary uniqueness that they had uh, and celebrate that with them. Let's see what happens. Stop well, it, Danny. I mean,
0: that right there, you're getting, some of you are going to roll your eyes and say, oh, it's soft, and oh, they're a bunch of snowflakes, and oh, man, it's different back in my day, and oh, it sounds corny and kumbayash. But you know what? That's what I think today's employee needs. Right. Pete Carroll says, I man, we, we, we took this at college and we brought it to the pros and we wanted to see if it could work. If you loved people, celebrated their uniqueness, embraced their uniqueness and allowed them to be themselves, how far could we go? Well, the Seahawks got to the playoffs 10 times in 14 years. They got to the Super Bowl twice. They were one play away from beating Bill Belichick's Patriots in the Super Bowl. That kind of environment, Danny, What we're celebrating with Dan Campbell now, what we're celebrating with Mike McDaniel now, that's what Pete Carroll was talking about 15 years ago. And that's what I wish the Patriots had. That's what I think the Patriots need. What Belichick was doing worked because Brady was as old school as he was. And Brady would buy in and Brady would facilitate the message and Brady would pass the message on down and everybody else would fall in line. When Brady's not there, It becomes a lot harder to pull that off. And Pete Carroll, I think, for 15 years found a way to pull that off. I do think he got the best out of Seahawks organizations a lot of times. He made guys believe in themselves. He empowered guys. He let guys be themselves. Yes, it backfired occasionally, right? Earl Thomas flipped off the Seahawks sideline after breaking his leg. Richard Sherman got into a shouting match with a position coach. After the Seahawks lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots, they did fragment because the guys who had the big personalities that had been embraced eventually got too big. That is true.
1: Russell but Wilson not, was part of that too, right?
0: Right. But, like, so, but Pete Carroll allowed everybody to be themselves. And when Richard Sherman got big, he kind of outgrew the program. And Russell Wilson kind of outgrew the program. And there were problems. But by and large, there was many more successes in Seattle over 15 years than there were problems. Because he allowed guys to be themselves. He didn't try to fit them into a box. Daddy, you're a Yankee fan. Okay, I've said for a while now, I think the Yankees need to ditch their no facial hair policy. I do and too. I know, huh, yeah, it's not, it's not the same as what we're talking about with the Patriots, but you see the Yankees not allowing individuality. You see the Yankees not allowing guys to be themselves. And as a result, I think there are absolutely some guys that are not comfortable being Yankees. I don't know that Jason Giambi was comfortable being a Yankee. Sonny Gray was not comfortable being a Yankee. Now, it wasn't a facial hair thing, but, like, there are just guys who who don't fit well in that box.
1: They let Giambi have the mustache for a little while.
0: They didn't let him have the hair he had in Oakland. No. So... I just think like the Patriots and Belichick are trying to fit everybody into this Patriot-way box. I'd much rather see it the other way, the Pete Carroll way, the Dan Campbell way. Love these guys. Embrace them. Treat them like human beings. Care about their lives. And don't see them as just a number. And that's kind of how I think the Patriots feel about things. That environment that Carroll described, that's the environment that I want. That's the environment that I want. Joe in Richmond says... If Belichick were to be gone, I would take Vrabel. I think he would be a good coach for the Patriots. He is a good coach, right? He got the number one seed in the playoffs with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. I caution you on this. He coached in the AFC South. The AFC South has been a dumpster fire for a long time, right? He coached in the easiest division in football for the last several years. Did he really figure out the quarterback thing? He did get the best out of Tannehill. Would they had Derrick Henry, a great run game, and A.J. Brown, an elite wide receiver, and they played in a bad division, they were able to get the number one seed. Did the Titans look real good with Tannehill a bunch of other years? Not necessarily. I do think he's a good coach. Do I think he's, like, instantly as good as Belichick? No. And I prefer somebody who doesn't have a link to the Patriots. Would I accept Mayo? Yes. Would I accept Vrabel, yes, because I'd have to. And I would find good reasons to like these guys. But if you're asking me what I want, I want somebody new. I want somebody not connected. I want the next 38-year-old hotshot. Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, Danny mentioned in the commercial break to me, offensive coordinator for the Lions. That would be a great hire. Could they get him? I don't know. But that would be a great hire. Somebody young, somebody innovative, somebody with a fresh perspective. I don't need a retread of the Patriot way. Tech says, yes, one guy should not do it all, being the GM and the head coach. Another texter says, the Pete Carroll way is seen in Cincinnati with Zach Taylor also. I am not a Bengals fan. Evidently, the texter is. I'm glad that Zach Taylor's doing it. They've had a lot of success there as well. Another guy who has a lot of success, that's our friend uh, Tom Karen, our Sox insider over at Nessun. TC is on the phone line with us now. We're going to talk about the Red Sox offseason. Uh, Danny tells me TC is on the phone, so Tom am Karen of Nessa, Thanks for being with us every Wednesday. How are you? I'm doing well, Brady. How are you doing? I am doing well as well. You are apparently in our neck of the woods today. What are you doing in Vermont?
3: We're up here in Burlington. Uh, tonight, my son, uh, Jack, his band, Campfire Jack and the S'mores, will be taking the stage at Nectar's, which is pretty cool for an old fish head who, uh, you know, decades ago would go to Nectar's to eat fries and gravy and watch fish. Uh, try to try to uh, figure out if they were going to be uh, a big time band, and of course we know what happened to them. Uh And so he's thrilled. He's a, he's a big fish fan, and it's been a, a dream of his to play Nectars, and tonight they do. So we'll be there.
0: What kind of music? Are we head banging? Are we vibing so- no, slowly? What are we doing uh, here?
3: No, it's more jam. It's more in the uh, in the fish, uh like <laughs> see, a, a Vermont jam band. uh <clears throat> but a little country twang uh, to it. They're fun. They're they're a good band, and uh, I think it's four different bands playing tonight at Nectar's, and they're one of them. It's going to be a good time.
0: Do you have a Church Street routine or something you're doing before the show?
3: (laughs) We did. We hit Honey Road last night, which is a fantastic restaurant uh, here in Burlington, which I had actually never been to before. Uh, And so we got reservations a long time ago. Place was packed. Uh, But we'll hit a couple of the usual haunts tonight. Uh, You know, uh, I I won't give away a million places, but... uh, (laughs) Uh We'll hit a couple of spots, although, although it is dry January. So not quite oh. doing the damage that uh, we've done in that previous uh, trip.
0: Well, I I'd like to do dry January, but I need alcohol to get me through this Red Sox <laughs> off season. My, it's my,
3: been tough. <laughs> no doubt about that.
0: My anger at it. So let's talk about the Sox, right? They missed, since we last spoke, they've missed out on Teoscar Hernandez in the outfield. They've missed out on Shoto Imanaga, the other Japanese pitcher who was coming over this off season. TC, um, there are internal improvements to be made. There have been some intriguing, fringy signings. It's, it's not all bad, but it's mostly discouraging overall.
3: I, I thought Alex Spear of the Globe had one of the best lines I've heard, uh, to describe the Red Sox offseason so far. It's kind of been moving food around your plate, pushing mm, things yes. around, right? You, you get, you get Giolito and you're like, all right, now we're one step closer to a rotation, but then you move sale and you're like, all right, now we're back to needing two starters. Uh, there there has you know I agree with you that there have been some nice little moves on the fringes uh but but they still need to make a move that impacts this rotation specifically let's start with Hernandez you mentioned Oscar Hernandez I thought he was a natural fit right handed bat with power uh slugging percentage over 600 at Fenway Park uh as someone joked that's because he was facing Red Sox pitching uh which wouldn't be the case (laughs) if he played for the Red Sox but uh you know it's just a kind of a tailor-made guy for Fenway Park now I will also say this, and, and again, nobody wants to hear because it's he's but you know, the Red Sox have the money, okay. But the money, some of these signings—I uh, mean, that's an insane amount for one year for Teoscar Hernandez. Now it's only one year, and I've said all along, overpaid for one year.
2: I think eight and a half
3: million of it is 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 deferred. Uh, but that he's not worth that money. Uh, and and frankly, there's a lot of rumors about Jorge Soler. Uh, if the two-year offer that that we've seen in the papers, whether 28 or 30 million that they offered over two years for Hernandez, if they're offering that and they get Soler, I, it's a wash to me. Soler works, uh, but again, I don't believe anything now with the Red Sox this offseason until I see a deal announced. So I'm not going to assume that. Back to the pitching, the the Imanaga thing a week ago, I would have told you that really, really hurt because I thought he was the one guy. I know they were in on him early. I know that, you know, it ends up, again, the reports are there's only two years and $30 million guaranteed. It's 15 a year, but there's a lot of opt-outs. It's a really complicated deal. But I also, you know, the Giants pulled out, if you follow the reports, a lot of teams that were in on them pulled out at the end. The deal ends up being far short of what we thought. I, I've heard a couple of rumors, and, and I'm reading between the lines of what I'm reading in the reporting, I wonder if the medicals were not good on Imanaga. Because this is not what we thought he was going to sign for. I mean, he's 30 years old. We know that a lot of Japanese pitchers come over with a lot of wear and tear on the arm. And and so I just can't help but wonder. It, it still doesn't, you know, the Red Sox are quasi-desperate for pitching, and they should probably take on a risk. Uh, but I do wonder if his market got upended by by the medical reports, which eventually come over, right? And And this is still pending a physical with the Cubs. So we'll see what comes out of that. But I do wonder, and that's not about the Red Sox specifically. That's just about Imanaga. I thought he was going to get a whole lot more than that. I thought we were going to talk about, you know, six years, $100 million guaranteed, and it's nowhere near that.
0: Yeah, right now, two years, 30 is kind of all we know at this point, with some escalators to take it much higher than that, but that's kind of the base that we know at this point. We're talking with Tom Karen, our Red Sox insider over at Nesson here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, com. Sticking with Japanese players, report came out last week that the Sox are willing to listen on potentially trading Masataka Yoshida I gotta tell you, TC, I know we have concerns about his defense and I know maybe he slots into DH and he kind of puts up a, you know, a barrier at the DH position. I would hate that move. I like Yoshida. I know he slowed down second half of the year last year. He hit 280 with 15 homers and 80 RBIs or so coming over to a league he's never been to, a country he's not played in, pitchers he's never seen, never heard of. Well, I would think he could hit with, with a better lineup around him. I could think he could hit 300 with 20 homers and 90 RBIs this year. That's a guy I want to keep in my lineup, not get rid of.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think he's going to have a really good second season. I really did. There was a shoulder injury there, we know, at the end. Uh, big drop off over the last couple of months, right? Uh, I mean, he was the he was leading in, in most people's uh, ballots of the Rookie of the Year, the All-Star break, uh, and then it all tapered off. You go back and look historically at Japanese hitters who come over and most of them have a two to three month slump in their first year. Even Matsui, when when he came over, right one of the one of the great Japanese hitters to ever translate his skills to, to Major League Baseball, and and he it was not a complete first season. Second year he got a strike, and and so I'm with you. I think he'll be a little better defensively. I would never think he'll be great defensively, but give him more time and. Maybe you'll see fewer broken lights on the monster wall uh, out there. But I I just I do think he'll improve because I've i already went back to Japan and really just got right to it. Uh, he was humbled a little bit for the first time in his career over those last couple of months. Uh, but I, I saw bat-to-ball skills that translate and should only improve. Uh, I'm with you. Unless you are getting you know, I, trading him to dump salary would be the the first real, real red flag if I'm a Red Sox fan. It's one thing about not getting guys because you don't want to overpay or you don't want to take on an injured free agent at the age of 30 or whatever it is. Uh, it's another thing to start shedding play. Like the sale deal made sense because I really like Grissom. I think he's, he fills a hole and he's 22 and could be really good for a while. And you're trying to reboot this whole thing. But dumping a player just to get rid of his salary uh, in this case, um, uh, a really good hitter. J- Kelly Jansen, that uh, makes a little more sense to me, right? If that's a, you know, he's got one year left. Uh, we, we saw some moments where he struggled last year and I think they have the depth in the bullpen to move somebody else. I like Tanner Houck as a closer. I like Pavetta as a closer, though I think he'll be in the rotation. I, I just, I'm with you. The Yoshida dumping of his salary, uh, would, would, and by the way, I've, I've talked to some people over the Red Sox side and and they are not from what i understand they're not shopping him but they've been getting a lot of asks about him uh i someone would have to i really do think someone would have you, you have to get like if it's part of a lazardo deal if it's part of a a one or two pitcher coming back then maybe i could see that but doing it just to move some salary to go get somebody that's not what the red Sox are supposed to be
0: Buster has been telling us for weeks that he thinks the Red Sox right now are not a premier free agent destination. So that perception coupled with the, you know, perceived lack of money that they're offering has really made it a tough offseason overall. Do you think that that's true? Do you, do you think the Red Sox right now are not a destination for free agents like they have been in the past?
3: I do. I mean, you can't, I mean, compared to where they were a few years back, they were always in the running for the big names. Players always wanted to come over here, even even up to and including JD Martinez, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but over the last couple of years, the Trevor story one, well, yeah, that's probably the closest they came under Bloom. Uh, there hasn't been anything like that this off season. Again, I do think it's interesting that Montgomery and Snell are still sitting out there, and this whole off season narrative changes immediately if you go sign one of those two guys. But are you seeing any indication that that that's going to happen? Uh, I'm not. Uh, and and if it means that you know if that's why they're trading a player to free up salary to go get one of those, then then that to me reinforces what Buster is saying is that you know you you don't have, I mean they got thirty forty million dollars under the, the 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 CBT right now to to play with that's enough to go get one of those guys right now if you really want one of those guys go get one of those guys and then trade off some salary after the fact if you can uh, so yeah I you know I do wonder. If, I, Listen, I know the narrative is they're cheap now; they don't want to spend money. I don't think they became cheap overnight. I still wonder if they just look at this and say, "And we're not going to win the World Series next year. Can we cobble together enough of a team to contend for a playoff spot?" They think they can, and I, I you know, I, this is not the team they're going to go to spring training with. There's going to be pitching addition or additions before they go to camp, uh, and I, I wonder if they're just looking at it and saying, "Yeah, we're still a year or two away." from really assembling the team that we think is going to contend for the top. And that's when, you know, with Marcelo Meyer is still here and Roman Anthony and Kyle Thiel, and these guys are, are matriculating upwards, then, then maybe that's when they go back and spend. I don't know, but it certainly is uh, a different off season that we've ever seen, even under high and bloom, right? Bloom was always, uh, again, Alex Spirit did a really nice job at the Boston Globe talking about how much they spent uh over the last five years and and with bloom they were always within five ten percent of the cbt right now like i said they're 30 40 million under it to
0: see i'll get you out of here on this the thing that's interesting to me is like you talk about snell and montgomery and how it could flip the offseason and 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 you're probably right to that but for me at this point i'm so jaded i look at it like they're almost trying to back into these deals and that doesn't excite me when you hear that. like Yeah, they got Story, but I feel like they played musical shortstop chairs, and the Red Sox were the last team there, and Story kind of had to pick them. I didn't feel like they were proactive in going after Story all that much, and I don't feel like they're proactive going after Snell and Montgomery, and if they do get them, it's going to be because other teams missed out on all these other targets, and it's just kind of like they're the last ones left without a date to the ball, and it still works for the team, but perception-wise, it wouldn't do a whole lot for me.
3: Yeah, well, I and I think the story thing was different because of the lockout. You know, there was the True, there was death, the, you know, there's the hiatus and you couldn't do anything there. So I I wonder how that would have been done. Listen, I'll say frankly, and Haim Bloom, who just signed on with the Cardinals to, to be part of their front office, uh, I do wonder what an offseason would have looked like under him. I, I like Craig Breslow. I think the sale deal shows that he's willing to be more bold in dealing uh than than I think Bloom was in his four years here. But you know, Hyman said to me midway through last season, he goes, you know, now that we've built the foundation, this is the offseason I can go after specific needs and go get specific, you know, but it wasn't the full Dombrowski, but he was going to be able to say, you know, I can go get a pitcher. I can go get a right-handed bat because we don't need 20 things. We need four things. Uh And and, and so I, I do wonder, and we'll never know what it would have looked like under him, whereas instead Breslau or anybody coming into this position, is kind of starting from scratch, right? He's now getting rid of some pieces that he, they weren't his guys. They weren't his signings. They weren't his trades. So get rid of sale. Uh, get rid of Jansen if you want, uh, even the Yoshida conversations. I don't think that stuff would have happened under Bloom. I would have, he would have continued adding to it. So you always take a little bit of a half step back to move forward under a new guy. The sale deal is the one thing I look at though. And I know you lost pitching in there and then, you know, if he's healthy, he'll go be a good pitcher for Atlanta. But the sale deal is the one thing that's all right. That's a bold move. That that was a lightning bolt out of left field. Does he have more of that? You know, did, did, is that where, yeah, you know, Dylan sees or Jesus Lazardo, whatever pitcher you want, you know, somebody we're not even talking about right now. Can he pull off a bold move like that or two? Uh, then again, then we're back in business. But man, winter weekend is a week from Friday. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking into Kevlar, uh, suits from Joseph Aboud because, uh, it's going to be an angry, hostile crowd with pitchforks and, and torches, uh, that descend on MGM Springfield if they don't do anything between now and then.
0: DC, you're going to be in town tomorrow. UVM hoops at home against UMBC tomorrow night at seven. going to take in a Cats game?
3: I, you know, we were thinking about it. Unfortunately we gotta head back. Uh but you know, I am honored to be here on the day that sports betting goes live in Vermont. So I just you know yep. to be part of history. Uh but no, it, it would have been nice to hang around and watch that, but uh but other duties call, so we gotta go oh.
0: through All right. Well, travel safe, enjoy Nectar's tonight. That's awesome for your son. Um I think I saw him play back in the day. So I did see. You him did one, one of his
3: time. earlier iterations, yes, way back at the burger bar. That's right, You're over there. at the Burger
0: That's Bar right. in Colchester. So, That's right. uh, I knew him when. So,
3: <laughs> That's right. yeah, before Nectars, before the fame. There
0: you go. <laughs> Behind the music, Jack Harris. <laughs> so, TC, appreciate it. Enjoy the show. Travel safe, and we'll catch up next week. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it. Absolutely. There he goes. That is very, very cool. Danny, have you ever seen a show at Nectars? Have you gone out to Nectars before?
1: I I don't think I have. No.
0: You're not really a. You're not really a club goer. You're not really a bar goer,
1: are you? Not oh, too but, much. No. Okay,
0: so. On tap,
1: I've seen a show or two, but yeah.
0: I dragged you out a couple of times. I'm a bad influence, but, uh, not you for a show, your, but yeah. Yeah, you on your own are not a, uh, a real clubby guy, I don't think. I've been to, I've actually only been to Nectar's once myself. For as much as I've gone out in Burlington, as much as I've gone out around Vermont, I've actually only been to Nectar's once myself. I did see a show there, a friend who had a friend who was playing. Cool venue. At the time I was there, I didn't really appreciate the history of where I was, but I did enjoy it. I thought it was cool acoustically. I thought it looked fun. Like, I thought it was a fun place to be, but I've only been there once myself. So uh spent a lot more time at RJ's across the street, I can tell you that. But uh, TC, that's fun for him. Uh, I, I'm completely against the idea of the Red Sox trading Yoshida. I said that last week. I think I even butchered the numbers a little bit with TC. Like, Yoshida hit 290 last year, right? He hit 290, 15 homers and 72 RBIs, I think. This year, full season, different training methods, knows the travel, knows the schedule, knows the pitchers a little bit better. Why do I not think he can hit at 300 with 20 homers, with 85 RBIs, with 90 RBIs, with a lineup in theory that should be better around him, right? The questions for the Red Sox are all about pitching. Lineup-wise, Devers, Casas, a healthy story. Like, i got to think that the lineup is going to have something to offer there. And there's gonna be more protection for Yoshida and he doesn't have to be a guy who's necessarily gonna hit third or fourth. He can hit second or he can hit sixth. I, I like Yoshida a lot and just salary dumping him, I'm certainly not for it. If they traded him for ready-made, really good pitching, then I might have a different, a different viewpoint, but I, I don't, I, I hate the idea of getting rid of Yoshida, especially if it's just for money. Kyle in South Burlington says he wants to see them trade Yoshida and he wants to see them get pitching. He likes the young outfielders better. Look, I like Duran. I don't trust him for a full season. I like Abreu. I like Rafaela. I could be on board with both of those guys getting significant time in 2024. I like Yoshida as well. Yes, he's a DH. Yes, he's going to rotate in defensively too, but I that it's hard to hit three hundred in Major League Baseball these days. The pitching is so good. That to ball skills are at a true premium. They're at a true they're they're very hard to find. And Yoshida's got it. Puts the ball in play. He can hit the ball to all fields. He can hit the ball gap to gap. He can hit the ball over the ballpark. And he did all of out of the ballpark. He can and he did all of that in a league that was totally unfamiliar to him. That's that to me pretty special. I like Yoshida a lot. So um As for the, you know, TC says it, look, I think they're a year or two away from competing. I think they're kind of a year or two away from spending like they're competing. Disappointing to hear, right? I've been, like with the Patriots, I've been waiting. I've been patient. I'm ready to go now. Finished last in 2020, last in 22, last in 23, and and an ALCS run in 2021, which was a lot of fun. But we're now seeing that that was the outlier and not the last place finishes. The last place finishes are the norm right now for this team. I want to see them do what they can to get out of that, and I'd like to get out of it quickly, and evidently they don't see it that way. Tech says, I used to go to uh, Nectar's in 1988. I used to get French fries at midnight with gravy. There you go. That sounds good. Uh, Agreed on Yoshida. He's a professional hitter, and those guys are rare. They certainly are. We'll talk to Buster tomorrow. And, Danny, by the way, tomorrow, yeah, sports betting legal uh, in Vermont. Are you going to make your first bets tomorrow legally?
1: I don't know about tomorrow, but they're, they're coming. Are I'm you going to be, be a DraftKings guy? Probably DraftKings, yeah.
0: We've got Try download
1: FanDuel as well? I don't know. Probably one. We've got just somebody won.
0: from DraftKings coming on the show tomorrow. We do. Yes, that's that's breaking news. Just confirmed a little while ago. We will talk to Buster, but we will have a DraftKings rep on tomorrow to talk a little bit about kind of how it works, talk about kind of how to do it, the impact it'll have on the state. So we'll have an interesting uh, conversation tomorrow, yeah, with a rep over at DraftKings. To kind of just learn about this, right? Like I've, I've never been on DraftKings, honestly. You know, I've, I've been in New York before, right? Going home to see my parents, see buddies. Like I guess I could have downloaded the app and made bets while I was there. I have never done it. So now that it's legal, now that it's on the up and up and it's legal all around us, kind of no matter where I am, I can make these bets and I'm not a huge sports gambler. Like I, I much prefer playing Three card poker at the Saratoga Casino and Raceway when I'm back. But yeah, I might throw 10 on this game or 10 on that game or whatever. You know, please game responsibly. But yeah, tomorrow's a big day for the state of Vermont.
1: Have you ever done like fantasy lineups where those have been legal for a while now where you submit money and you just,
0: yeah, I've never done,
1: I've never done
0: what we call daily fantasy. I play a lot of fantasy baseball, right? A lot of fantasy baseball. I'm in probably I mean, three different leagues, all of which are for money, v- varying degrees of money, one of which is fairly, you know, at least to me, is fairly is a fairly hefty commitment. Um, and that's a grind, right? To do six months of baseball, that's a grind. But I think it does take real skill. And I've won leagues before, and I've finished last in leagues before. It is a really tough grind, but I enjoy doing it. I do not play fantasy football. I do not like fantasy football, frankly. Um, I haven't played fantasy football in more than ten years. And I'd be perfectly fine if I never played it again. There are some people who live for gambling on football, and there are some people who live for playing fantasy. I don't need either. I prefer gambling to fantasy when it comes to football, but I'd be perfectly fine if I never did either. See, tomorrow, I like
1: the weekly fantasy lineup because you're not stuck with your team for the entire 16 weeks. If somebody gets out for the year, they're just terrible.
0: You know what I want to try? And I've known this existed for a while. I can't find enough people that want to play it. I, have you ever heard of best ball fantasy football?
1: I've heard the term. I don't know how it works.
0: Okay. Do you know what best ball golf is?
1: Uh you're going to have to explain it. I've heard of it.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So, best ball golf is generally like what you do like as a member of a team. Um so what best ball golf is
1: you Just play the best ball right off off of a team of people.
0: Yeah. So, okay, you'll play as a team and only one ball counts per hole, right? Like we'll all tee off danny and whoever hits the best shot off the tee then we'll all go there and then we'll all hit from that spot and whoever hit the best shot we'll all play from there so by the end of the game or by the end of the hole we will have all hit from every spot but we're only going to use the best shot from each from each Makes you sense. Know, each hole and then by the end of the the hole you know our team will get a 3 a 4 a 5 a 7 whatever So best ball fantasy is a very cool thing that started a couple of years ago. Again, I just can't get enough people to want want to play it. So it's fantasy football, and all you do is the draft. There's no free agents. There's no trades. There's no setting of your lineup. The only thing you do is the draft all season long. You do the draft, and the draft is much bigger than usual. Like, basically, you're going to draft – You're going to have like 30 players on your team. You're going to draft players you've never heard of, but you're going to draft them. And then every week your score will be calculated as the best possible score that your team got. So there is no like, oh, man, I sat my receiver who got 50 points and I played a bunch of guys who got five. You don't set a starting lineup. If you had a receiver who got 50 points, you get the 50 points. If you, so the best score that your team manage, you are given every single week. You don't have to do free agency. You don't have to set a lineup. You don't have to trade. You have a ultra big draft. You have a team at the end of the draft and then you just get your best score every single week. Th- that's what I want to do.
1: Kind of like that. Takes all the thinking out of it.
0: It takes all the thinking out of it. You can set it and forget it. It's all the frustration of, okay, well, hey, man, I had this quarterback, and he got his touchdown vultured by the running back, and, and my guy at the bench threw for four touchdowns. Great. We'll take the guy who had four touchdowns, and that will be your score. That, that's what I want to play. So I draft play night f-
1: must be stressful, though, those first ten rounds.
0: Draft night must be stressful. Tech says, how about a fantasy baseball league with listeners and uh, and uh Danny play, too? Would you play fantasy baseball, Danny?
1: I could try to get into it i don't watch enough baseball probably to do it but i could try it
0: you could run our fantasy uh fantasy nba league
1: yes for sure
0: Dexter says in the late 70s i bet 50 cents with a friend that the Steelers will beat the browns i thought it was easy money and lost i went without lunch that day and i never bet again there you go danny there's an old episode of the flintstones which i don't know if you've ever seen have you ever seen the flintstones
1: yeah a couple episodes okay long time old
0: episode of the flintstones where fred and Barney go to the, uh, they go to the dinosaur races, horse races, dinosaur races. And there's this guy with the Texas accent and Fred is betting and he's losing and this guy in the Texas drawl is going, don't bet on the races. And so I've been thinking about that my whole life. Don't bet on the races. I don't like to bet that much. I do like to play three card poker. And like I said, I've won. 500 bucks doing that i've lost two, 150 bucks doing that but the three card poker is what i like to play lee is a big poker player i don't mean big in terms of like high volume i mean big like he loves to play it um and he's always going to tournaments and things like that and playing at community centers and things like that and Lee's pretty good i think like i i don't play hold or anything a lot i don't even know how to play most versions of poker i know how to play hold but uh lee is very good i think so there you go all right, Brady Farkas show here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. That was TC. Uh, Patriots finished 4-13 and 13 this season. We will unpack the season. What worked, what didn't. We'll get to all of it next on DEV. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Patriots finished the season at 4-13. and 13. They were out the number three pick in the NFL draft. We will certainly become a draft show. Over the next several months, which I can't believe that's how bad this is, are going to make me follow things like, hey, Danny, do you know anything about the outside linebacker over at Tulsa this year? Or, Hey, man, what about the tackle at TCU? That's going to have to be us now. I'm really, really resentful of how bad they were because of that. Like, if it's not quarterback or wideout or DB, I don't really want to talk about it that much. But we're going to have to be talking about it because they were just that putrid. Most of the season, our fine. We unpacked the Patriots every single post game show. I talked about what worked and what didn't for the Patriots. Danny, let's do it one more time from a season perspective. This is our unpacking the Patriots 2023 wrap up. Which Patriots popped?
3: To the 30, to the 20. He is end zone bound. Pick six, touchdown, Patriots.
0: And which ones flopped?
3: Jones steps up in the pocket, unloads a deep ball, and it's intercepted. That'll put the cherry on top.
0: We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. I think it's safe to say that when you finish 4-13, and 13, there's more bad than good. I have gone through and found some good, and there are always good over the course of a season, right? It's always good and bad. It's never good or bad. There's a lot of bad. There is some good in there, but uh, some of these are going to seem fairly obvious. Some of them are going to be a little more nuanced as well. Let's get right to it, Danny. Something that I felt was good was the impact of some veterans, both on the field and in terms of leadership, right? Not every veteran is going to hit. Not everybody you bring in is going to assimilate to the Patriot way or is going to jive with Bill. Two guys that I thought made a big difference this year in a couple of different ways, Jabril Peppers and Ezekiel Elliott. They're guys that we have talked about through the season, guys that we did talk about. I thought both of them had very good years in a couple of different perspectives. First off, I thought Jabril Peppers was the best player on the defense, right? Bigger names on this defense, guys like Kyle Duggar, guys like Christian Barmore, guys like Matthew Judon, a draft pick like Christian Gonzalez. A lot of those guys got injured. Jabril Peppers was a guy who was largely healthy. He played 15 games this season. He found a way to contribute in a lot of different ways. He was a big hitter. He was a thumper. He was a guy who was athletic for a team that didn't have a whole lot of athleticism. He's athletic and strong. At the age of 28, he played 15 games. He had 15 starts. He had two interceptions. He had a forced fumble. He had a fumble recovery as well. He did a couple of things on special teams. I thought he was a good locker room guy when he screwed up, right? There was a clip of him that went viral, you know, kind of talking bad about the team to Saquon Barkley. He apologized. He owned it to the media. I thought Jabril Peppers was good from an on-field perspective. I thought he was good from a leadership perspective. He had been on this team last year, played in 17 games last year, but he started 10 more this year. He had he didn't have any interceptions last year. He didn't have any forced fumbles last year. Thought he made a bigger impact this year. He had 18 more tackles total. He had five tackles for loss. Jabril Peppers was the best player on this defense. It was a pretty good defense, all things considered. Jabril Peppers was great. Ezekiel Elliott made an impact on this team. Now, look. His yards per carry has gone down seven consecutive years. He is not the player that he was. Too often we were talking about him getting three yards a carry and three, you know, 2.8 yards a carry per game. He's not the guy he was five years ago. He's not the guy he was eight years ago. He's not the guy he was at Ohio State. But, look, he came in. He worked hard. He caused absolutely no trouble. We had heard, you know, we knew about his past. He caused no trouble. He Spoke well in the locker room. He spoke eloquently in the locker room about his teammates. He didn't take sides in the quarterback situation. He praised Bill Belichick. He acted like he enjoyed being here. He said he'd be welcome, he'd welcome coming back here in 2024. He was still good at the things he was always good at pass blocking and catching the ball out of the backfield. He had a couple of touchdowns. Receiving this year, especially late in the year in victories. He had the touchdown against Denver on Christmas Eve. He had the touchdown against Pittsburgh on that Thursday night game. Ezekiel Elliott, Jabril Peppers, two veterans the Patriots got right. Peppers they had two years ago also, but Elliott they get this year. And Elliott had to step into a bigger role than anticipated because of the injury to Ramondre Stevenson. Danny, um, on the bad side of things, there were a couple of veterans that also didn't really do anything for this team. Right? And... I was disappointed to see the lack of impact from a couple of guys on this roster. Mike Gesicki, I thought, was going to be a bigger part of this season. He wasn't a total no-show, but he only had 29 catches. He only had 244 yards. He only had two touchdowns for the season. I thought, this is a guy who played every game of the season. Every game of the season. This is a guy who caught 73 passes for Miami two years ago. 73 passes. Even last year, We talked about Mike McDaniel not using the tight end a lot in Miami. He caught more passes last year for more yards, for more touchdowns, for more yards per reception than he did this year. Gesicki, I never thought he was going to change the offense, but we hoped that with him and Hunter Henry there could be a two-wide receiver or a two-tight end setup like they had with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. It never really materialized. He even had chances when Hunter Henry was out at the end of the year. Didn't do a lot with it. He did have the game winner against Buffalo, I believe. That was his high water mark of the season, but we didn't see a lot from Mike Kosicki otherwise, and that disappointed me. Another guy who we didn't see a lot of this year, I don't even really remember calling his name this season, was Adrian Phillips. Now, he didn't play as much as he's played in the past, but he played 17 games this year for the Patriots, only had one start. He only had 17 tackles this year. He had no tackles for loss. He had no picks. He had no fumble recoveries. Again, not as much time, but that alone is a bit of a problem to me. You look at this guy. In 2020, in the COVID season, he started all 16 games, had 109 tackles. The next year, he started 13 games, had 92 tackles. Last year, he started eight games, had 66 tackles. So his production's gone down every year, and he was basically non-existent this season. Now, They had other answers at safety. They did some other things in the secondary. There was less time to be had. But Adrian Phillips was a player that in the past I had liked, and we didn't really see much of him this year. On the good side of things, Danny, the defense was better than I expected it to be. It was better than I gave it credit for. And the back half of the season, it really did play well. We talked at times First half of the year, they didn't get any turnovers. They eventually, in the second half, found a way to lock down, even without forcing all of those turnovers. We talked about them being bad on third down in various games. Like, I remember the Washington game. They could not get off the field in a game that they lost. But they ended up, I thought, playing very, very well. Like, I'm just, pulling up a couple of different metrics here. Opponent yards per game. Patriots, seventh in the NFL. That's pretty good. How about scoring defense in terms of opponent points per game? Patriots were 15th in the NFL. And remember, that's not all the defense's fault because, I mean, how many pick sixes? How many short fields? How many times did they give up something on special teams that led to points, right? The defense gets charged with allowing 21 and a half points a game. We know it wasn't fully the defense's fault. So I thought overall Patriots' defense was pretty good. Yes, we would have liked for them to force more turnovers, but it didn't happen. They still found a way to be pretty stout. On the bad side of things, too many injuries. This is the one thing in the NFL that you can't control, right? It is a game of attrition, and the Patriots dealt with a lot of attrition. As we said, we said this, Danny, you remember this back in August. I said, if the Patriots have everything go their way, they could probably be a 10-win team. Well, everything going your way involves staying very, very healthy. And the Patriots didn't have that, not by a long shot, right? They didn't have... Devontae Parker at times on offense. They didn't have Ramondre Stevenson for the back end of the season. They didn't have Hunter Henry at times. They didn't have Trent Brown at times on the offensive line. Cole Strange got hurt on the offensive line. Defensively, they lost Judon, and they lost John Jones, and they lost Marcus Jones, and they lost um, Christian Gonzalez, their first-round pick. When you're already largely devoid of talent, you can't go and lose the talent that you have. If the Patriots got to play their entire season with their entire first team, it could have gone differently. They were playing with a lot of second-string guys, a lot of third-string guys, and a lot of guys off the practice squad too often this year. Injuries, you can't control it, but that certainly is something that went wrong. On the good side of things, this team appeared unified for a lot of the season. Of course there was frustration. There were a couple of leaks to the press. But by and large, these guys stood behind Mac Jones when he was struggling. They stood behind Bailey Zappi. They stood behind Bill Belichick. Pop Douglas called it a family environment, said he's always going to remember this team. This team, it would have been easy to fracture. It would have been easy to crater. By and large, I thought they'd stay together. Again, do you get a moral victory in Week 2 for staying close with the Dolphins? No. Do I give you some credit at the end of the year for putting up with this season for 18 weeks and still battling your tail off and being in a lot of games down the stretch, even when the season was pretty much over? Yeah, I do. I thought the Patriots stayed together, and I appreciated the effort. No, they weren't good enough to close a lot of games, but they did try hard. And at the end of the year, that matters. On the bad side of thing, Danny, there were a couple of guys that didn't take the next step. And part of the hallmark of a franchise is can you draft well, but can you also develop well, and can guys take that next step? And too many guys for the Patriots didn't take that next step this year. I mean, there's an obvious one, right? Tyquan Thornton almost didn't take any step. Okay, this guy was a second round pick last uh, in.
1: He's about to step league. out of the league.
0: Yeah, like he, Tyquan Thornton had a worse year this year than he did in 2022. And last year we thought he had a bad year. He had 13 catches for 91 yards. Like, for a guy who's supposed to be a burner, he was relegated to largely wide receiver screens. He had no touchdowns this season. His longest catch of the year was 15 yards. You talk, like, he is closer to out of the league than he is to franchise cornerstone at this point. That is certainly a problem. Another guy that I don't remember calling their name a lot was Josh Uche. We were talking last year about Josh Uche maybe being a guy who could go and get a big contract for the Patriots. And this year, I felt like he didn't do much of anything. Look, in 2022, Josh Uche had 11 and a half sacks. This year, he had three. In 2022, Josh Uche had two force fumbles. This year, he had zero. In 2022, Josh Uche had 23 solo tackles. This year, he had eight, nine tackles for loss last year. This year, he had three, 14 quarterback hits last season. This year, he had six. His numbers are appreciably worse across the board. That's something that's disappointing to see, right? That's a guy we were talking about, a mega contract, to now I'm not sure what his future is. Same thing can kind of be said for Kyle Duggar. Kyle Duggar, I thought was a star in the making. He's still very, very good. But is he the next Ed Reed, Troy Palamalu, camp Chancellor, etc.? Now I wouldn't go that far. Okay? He had more tackles this season than he's ever had before. Give him a lot of credit for that. But he had Less interceptions this year than he had. He um, didn't fumble, you know, didn't have a fumble recovery last year. He scored two touchdowns on defense. I just felt like he made more of an impact last year than he did this year. His numbers are actually okay when it comes to tackling, but in terms of the overall impact, I didn't really feel it. Okay, I didn't really feel it. I know I'm running out of time here, Danny. A couple of other things. On the bad side of things, special teams. Across the board, special teams was bad. Bryce Baringer Behr- uh, was pretty good as a punter. Chad Ryland was horrific as a kicker. After getting rid of Nick Folk, who was awesome, Ryland did not do the job as a fourth-round pick. They lost their Super Bowl game in Germany ugly. They lost a bunch of games ugly, right? They were shut out by the Saints. They were killed by Dallas. They were beaten badly. They were beaten by the Colts and the Giants in these one-possession games in which they could barely score. That was ugly. I didn't like the behavioral issues that came out for this team. The Jack Jones situation before the year, Jack Jones situation in the year, J.C. Jackson in the year, defiance, things you don't usually see with the Patriots, that bothered me. On the positive side, I'll end it there, I do like Pop Douglas. Is he the number one that this team needs? No. But is he part of the solution? I think so. He showed toughness. He showed speed. He showed agility. He's a guy who can catch the ball in short yardage. He's different than Edelman. He's different than Jacoby Myers, but he's a guy that I like who gives this offense a little bit of juice. That's going to do it for us. That was a little bit of speed unpacking the Patriots at the end. Thanks to Tom Karen. Tomorrow we talk to Buster. Tomorrow we talk a little sports gambling. Happy Sports Gambling Day in Vermont, which kicks off uh, on January 11th, which is tomorrow. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Thanks to Danny. Thanks to you on the text line. I didn't screw up any buttons over the course of this show. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the podcast. uh, when it comes out here in a couple of minutes and find out what I had to say at the beginning. Danny, we'll see you tomorrow here on WDEV AM and FM.